0: Thank you for joining us today. We'll continue our study of the letter of Paul to the Galatians. We'll be discussing how adding works to the gospel of Jesus Christ is saying that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection weren't adequate to save you, and Jesus needs you to help Him save you by you doing something to earn your salvation. And if it was true that we could earn our salvation by our works, Jesus really didn't need to die for our sins. Adding works to grace and faith is a rejection of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you'll open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2, we'll begin our lesson. So why don't we begin with prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you again for this time and for the opportunity to gather together and study your word. And as we read today about the gospel of Jesus Christ being the gift and the grace of faith that you've given us, and it's by your grace, through our faith in Jesus Christ alone, that we are saved, Father, just help us understand that and appreciate that and be thankful for that grace that you've given us. I know there are times when we want to contribute to that and we want to feel like we're earning our way and yet as we'll study today that is not the gospel of jesus christ and we just thank you so much that you've given us this gift that we can't earn that we can't contribute to which just gives us tremendous peace in our life knowing that our sins are forgiven as christians and that we're promised eternal life with you what an awesome loving father that you are Please guide our discussion today. Father, let it be your words, not my words. And anyone else who speaks up, just help guide our discussion in a way that we can all learn from one another. And we can also take that learning and allow the Holy Spirit to use it in a way to change us and to change our hearts. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're continuing our discussion of Galatians today. We're in chapter 2. So if you'll turn there. And as we left off of chapter one last time, what we read about was Paul was essentially saying how he had received the gospel of Jesus Christ directly from Jesus Christ. And we spent some time studying that and talking about that. And we can look in chapter one towards the end. We can see that in verse 18, Paul says, then after he received the gospel of Jesus Christ, he really went away to Arabia and spent time in prayer and really understanding what Jesus wanted to teach him. And after he had done that for three years, then he went to Jerusalem where the other apostles were, and we see to become acquainted with Peter, that's who Cephas is. Yet he only stayed with them for 15 days, and he primarily spent time with Peter And we see James and we'll see John as we study today. And those were the three apostles of the twelve that were closest to Jesus. And he didn't go there, as we'll see today. He didn't go to learn the gospel. He had already received it from Jesus Christ. But what we're going to read today is he actually went to make sure that the gospel that he had received was in total alignment and was the same gospel that Jesus had taught the 12 apostles. And so we'll study that today. So in chapter two, what we're gonna see is Paul is going to provide two proofs to the Galatians. Remember, he's writing to the church in Galatia. There are these false teachers who are saying that Paul's gospel of salvation by grace alone without works to help earn your salvation that that's not the true gospel they were saying that you really had to do good works it was faith plus good works and you had to get circumcised you had to become a jew first and people who believe that are sometimes referred to as the judaizers they were christians well they were so-called christians they believed in jesus christ as the son of god and that he was god But they also believed that you had to do a lot of things. You had to maintain the Jewish traditions and you had to get circumcised. You had to do all these things as well in order to obtain and maintain your salvation. And that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ is what Paul is saying. You don't add works to it. It is only by grace, by grace alone through our faith. And so he's going to give two proofs of that to the Galatians in our study this morning first he's going to show as I said that his gospel is exactly the same gospel that was given to the 12 apostles in Jerusalem it's identical it's aligned it is the exact same gospel although Paul was called to go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles and the other apostles were called to go and preach to the Jewish people for them to become Christians And the second proof that we're going to get into towards the end of our lesson today is Paul is actually going to go and confront and correct Peter. Peter started showing some preference to the Judaizers and their false system of legalism and works and what have you. We'll look at that. And Paul really gets in his face and says, that's not right. That is not the gospel. Which again also is proof that Paul is teaching the correct gospel, that he would even correct Peter, who Jesus called the rock. So we'll study that a little bit when we get further into the lesson. So let's begin chapter 2, verse 1. Then, after an interval of 14 years, so this is 14 years from the previous time when he went to Jerusalem and was with Cephas, meaning Peter and James, and by the way, This James, there's two apostles that are both named James. This is not James, either one of the apostles. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus, who was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. So when we talk about James today, that's the James we're talking about. So after 14 years from the last time he was there, he went up again to Jerusalem. And this time he took Barnabas and he also took Titus along with him as well. The folks in Galatia, they know Barnabas. And Titus, by the way, is a Greek, and he was uncircumcised. He was a Greek. So let's continue on in verse 2. And it was because of a revelation that I went up, and I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but I did so in private to those who were of reputation. So this is Peter, John, and James. May have been some of the other apostles, but primarily them. And you can see he went up there because God had directed him to go to Jerusalem. He had this vision, this revelation. God said, go up to Jerusalem. And part of that is just so that this alignment could happen between what Jesus had taught Paul as well as what he had taught to the other 12 apostles. At this time, the false teachers... They were actually lying, and they were saying that the teaching that they had, which is faith plus works, had actually come from the 12 apostles. So God wanted to actually have Paul get with the other 12 and show that they both have the same gospel. It is by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, and that comes to us by grace. Continuing on, he says that he did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain, but not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. So let me show you where some of this is coming from. We actually read this in Acts. If you'll go over to Acts 15, just flip over there a few books over to the left Fifth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts 15. And let me just refresh our memory on this event that we're reading here. So chapter 15, verse 1, and I'm just going to read through it very quickly. This is in our study of Acts today. And some men came down from Judea and began teaching to the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So this is these Judaizers that are saying, sure, you have to believe in Jesus Christ, but you have to get circumcised. You have to become a Jew. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. And when they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. So they're telling them what great things that Paul's preaching to the Gentiles, how many people had become saved. Verse 5. But certain ones of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed, so these are Jewish people, Pharisees, who had become Christians. They stood up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them, that's the Gentiles, and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. See, this is exactly what the false teachers were teaching the Galatians. And the apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Remember it was Peter who actually was the first to preach to the Gentiles. And we'll look at that here in just a few minutes if we have time. Verse eight, and God who knows the heart bore witness to them, giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. So this was like the Gentile Pentecost. And he made no distinction between us and them Cleansing their hearts by faith. Do you see? By faith only. Verse 10. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples, being the Gentiles, a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? So, again, they haven't been able to be obedient to the entire law. They weren't able to do it. So why are we now going to try to put this yoke on the Gentiles? Verse 11. But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in the same way as they are also. And the multitude kept silent, and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they had stopped speaking, James answered, again, this is the half-brother of Jesus, he's the ruling elder, he answered saying, Brethren, listen to me. Simeon, this is Peter, has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. And you can see he quotes Amos here and you can go down in verse 17 in order that the rest of mankind meaning the gentiles may seek the lord in all the gentiles who are called by my name says the lord who makes these things known from old therefore it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to god from among the gentiles but we write to them basically a letter that they abstain from things contaminated by idols from fornication and from what is strangled and from blood and so these four things, they don't give salvation, but they wanted the Gentiles to refrain from these things because those four things were so odious to devout Jews and they didn't want the Gentiles to be a stumbling block to other Jews to place their faith in Jesus Christ. Let me just skip down a little bit. So they send Paul and Barnabas, as well as others, off to go talk to the Gentiles, go back to the church that had sent them. And you can see in verse 28, they're reading from the letter from "...for it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials, that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well." So when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement." That's when the other apostles, the elders of the church, you can see Paul is there, Peter's there, James is there. They say that, no, it is entirely by grace. And the Gentiles, they don't have to become circumcised. You don't get there by becoming circumcised and by upholding the law. It is by grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ. So go back over to Galatians. That's what we're talking about here. And I'll pick back up in verse 3. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. That's what we just read. But it was because of the false brethren who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, meaning their freedom, which we have in Jesus Christ, in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. Paul's saying it's slavery to add anything to the gospel, that it's by grace alone, through our faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone. Verse 6, but from those who were of high reputation, meaning the apostles, and he puts in a parenthetical What they were makes no difference to me. God knows no partiality. So he's saying that while they didn't add anything, you can see, he says, Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me, so they didn't add anything to the gospel and paul already knew his authority i mean he got his gospel from jesus christ and he was only there with them to just make sure it was in alignment with what jesus had taught the 12 apostles and they confirmed that it is what you're teaching is in direct alignment with what jesus taught us and so paul is saying that these people that are teaching something else that's not the gospel And he's even saying, look, even Peter and John and James did not make Titus get circumcised. And they sent us off to go preach the gospel. Paul to the Gentiles and Peter and other apostles to the Jews. But it was the exact same gospel. In verse 6, Paul's saying, yeah, I met with them, but they didn't contribute anything to his gospel. His gospel didn't come from them. They didn't add anything more to it. He didn't change it. It's the exact same gospel that he got from Jesus Christ. Verse 7, but on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, meaning the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, just as Peter with the gospel to the circumcised, Peter was directed to preach the gospel to the Jews. Same gospel message. Same message from Jesus Christ. Verse 8 For he, you see that's a capital he, that's Jesus and the Holy Spirit, who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised, effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. In recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas, meaning Peter, and John, here's where John's mentioned, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So they are equal in their ministry. They're equal in their authority. Just as Peter and John had been given the gospel from Jesus and directed to go to the Jews, Paul had been sent to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And if you recall, when we studied Acts, The book of Acts, chapters 1 through 8 are all about Peter, really, about Peter going to the Jews. And eventually he goes to the Gentiles and they receive the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts 9 through 28, it's mainly about Paul and his approach. Of course, he would go to the Jews first and then the Gentiles. And it's interesting when you look at Jesus, he preached to the Jews When you look at the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 1 through 11, Jesus is really preaching to the Jewish people, trying to bring them to faith in him. And beginning about Matthew 12, Jesus begins preaching to the Gentiles. So Jesus gave all the apostles the exact same gospel, and that's what Paul is saying. We'll pick up here in verse 10. They only ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. And so Paul, will recall, actually collected money in some of his churches and would bring that money to Jerusalem to help. There was a famine and to help the poor in Jerusalem. They asked him to remember the poor, and he was willing and doing that anyway. Verse 11. Now here's where Paul is going to correct Peter that I referred to at the very beginning. Verse 11. But when Cephas, meaning Peter, but when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. So this must have been pretty bad. What did Peter do? For prior to the coming of certain men from James, okay, so before a group of men came from Jerusalem, so these are Jewish believers, Jewish Judaizers, these are people that are trying to add things to the gospel. But saying they are part of the church and had been directed by James in their gospel went along with what James said. It could be those people or it could be just other Jewish people. But these are definitely Jews from Jerusalem. So before they showed up, Peter was there, it says, and he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, these Jewish people, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof fearing the party of the circumcision. So Peter pulled back. He was fearful because he really wanted to be accepted by the Jews. And there he was eating with the Gentiles, which by Jewish law you weren't supposed to do. So here Peter is starting to kind of defer to these Jewish people that still hold the law as something that is very important to continue to do. Verse 13, and the rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. So now Paul is really getting upset. Peter was eating probably some unclean food with the Gentiles, which it's okay to do. When the Jewish people came, he withdrew and he started kind of, hey, I don't want them seeing me doing this, even though there was nothing wrong with it. Verse 14, but when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, meaning Peter, in the presence of all, if you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles, meaning he was over there eating unclean food with the Gentiles, and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? So Paul right here is really getting in Peter's face. And he's saying, look, the Gentiles don't have to be circumcised. We read that in Acts 15. This has already been decided. He says, you couldn't keep the law before you became a Christian as a Jew and before Christ saved you. So now why are you requiring the Gentiles to keep it? He's saying, you're already getting the gospel messed up. We already have discussed this. We've decided this. This is what we were both taught from Jesus. 15, we are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. What does that mean? Well, it was common for Jewish people to just refer to Gentiles as sinners. That's what he's saying. And let me just show you also, let's go over to Acts 11. Go back over to Acts, because this is also what Paul is referring to. And let's jump in in chapter 11. And this is when Peter first received this vision that he was to go to the Gentiles. So Peter is the first to go to the Gentiles. Remember, at this point, Pentecost had happened, and Peter and the apostles and the other disciples that were with him had already received the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus had promised, that he would send a helper and they would receive power. But this hasn't happened to the Gentiles yet. So chapter 11, verse 1 of Acts. Now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised took issue with him. So these are Jewish Christians saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began speaking and proceeding to explain to them in an orderly sequence, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, a certain object coming down like a great sheet lowered by four corners from the sky, and it came right down to me. And when I had fixed my gaze upon it and I was observing it, I saw the four-footed animals of the earth and the wild beast and the crawling creatures and the birds of the air. And I also heard a voice saying to me, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. So these are unclean, by Jewish standards, unclean foods. Verse 8, But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing unholy or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a voice from heaven answered a second time, What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. And this happened three times, and everything was drawn back up into the sky. And behold, at that moment, three men appeared before the house in which we were staying, having been sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them without misgivings. And these six brethren also went with me, and we entered the man's house. And he reported to us how he had seen the angels standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and have Simon, who is called Peter, brought here. And he shall speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and all your household. So this is a Gentile. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning. So he's referring to when the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles and the disciples, the Jewish believers. Now the same thing is happening here to this Gentile household. So this is like the receiving of the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles. It's the Gentile Pentecost, you could say. Verse 16, And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If God therefore gave to them the same gift as he gave to us, so if he gave the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles, just like he gave to us Jewish people who placed our faith in Jesus Christ, also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. Okay? So that's what Paul is talking about here. Let's go back over to Galatians, verse 15. He's saying, we're Jews by nature, and we're not sinners from among the Gentiles, okay? We're not Gentiles. In verse 16, nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, justified means declared righteous, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, That we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So, Paul's saying, Look, we don't add to the gospel. Now, sometimes, just like Peter was trying to do there, you know, the flesh in us, we want to feel like we contributed something. You know, we want to feel like, Yeah, but if I do this, You know, it might be, yeah, I'm going to go to church today on Sunday because that way maybe I'll earn God's blessing. We're getting into this works righteousness thing, and that's not the gospel is what Paul is saying. That's not why we do these things. We are declared righteous by our faith alone these legalists and they exist in many of our church denominations today they're trying to add things to the gospel paul is saying if you are going to go back to the law if you're going to go back and take that yoke on and basically say yeah i'd need to do some things in order to earn my salvation then you're basically rebuilding the law that Christ tore down. We're going to see, he's going to say that shortly. We shouldn't try to add things to this grace that God gave us. We should live by faith and trust in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us as Christians enables us to do that. So let me continue on and finish this out. Verse 17, But if, while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. So he's saying trying to rebuild the system of works in order to gain righteousness after Christ has already destroyed it, That's sinful. Faith plus works, having that as your model to get salvation, that is denying the gospel of Jesus Christ. Basically, you're saying, yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe he was the son of God. I believe he died for my sins. But you know, it just wasn't adequate to get me my salvation. And he needs my help. I've got to contribute to it. Because Jesus just couldn't quite get the job done on his own. So he needs my help. That's basically what you're doing when you're adding works to the gospel. And that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 19, For through the law I died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And that's through the Holy Spirit. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. So when we start adding things to the gospel, he's saying that's not the gospel at all. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we start doing that, if there was something that we could do to earn our salvation, Well, Christ didn't even need to die. He died needlessly because we could have done it on our own if there's something we can contribute to it. Basically, he's saying, and this is pretty strong, he's saying adding works in order to gain our salvation, you're basically nullifying and rejecting Christ's work on the cross, and you're rejecting grace. That is pretty strong language, particularly when you think today, There's so many religions and denominations out there that say it's faith plus works. Several of those come to mind. That's the teaching of the Catholic Church. Mormons believe that. There's other denominations. And that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ, is what Paul is saying right here. Remember, this book of the Galatians, I mentioned this last time, this letter to the Galatians, this was the cornerstone of the Protestant Reformation. This is what led to the separation of Protestants to form the Protestant denominations to separate from the Catholic Church, because Paul is so clearly teaching that it is faith by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. You don't add anything to it. I'd just kind of wrap up here, and then I'll open it up. Love to hear your comments and anything you want to talk about. It is clear that our salvation is by grace alone, through our faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. Just bear with me. Go over one book to Ephesians. I use this all the time when I'm giving my testimony to others. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. In fact, I'll even include 10. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So, it doesn't say we've been saved by grace and our faith in Jesus Christ, plus some of these other things that we might do. In fact, it goes further, verse 9, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. So, we have nothing to contribute to our salvation other than our need for a Savior. We're all messed up. But what about good works? That's covered in verse 10. For we are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. But where do the good works come? Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I love that verse. God has created good works for us that we are to live in. We don't contribute to it. It's Christ through the Holy Spirit empowering us, living in us, that enables us to do good works. So as we become a Christian, It's not even us doing the good works. God's prepared the good works, and the Holy Spirit enables us to do that. But it doesn't contribute to our salvation. That text right there in Ephesians is so clear on the point. And finally, I just encourage you to have the courage to talk to other people about their sin like Paul did. When we have brothers and sisters, I'm not talking about non-believers. I'm talking about brothers and sisters who may be struggling. You can see it over and over. It's not just a one-time event. They're really struggling with something, or maybe even their theology is a little off, like Peter's was becoming that we read today. And you may say, well, wait, Larry, I remember you teaching in Matthew 18 this church discipline process, and you're supposed to do that in private. And if you missed that discussion, you can go back and listen to the four-step church discipline process in Matthew 18. You can go back and listen to that recording. Let me just show you one other verse. If you go over to 1 Timothy 5, verse 20, it says, Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest also may be fearful of sinning. And so how do you reconcile these two things? I think in this situation... Because what Peter was doing was in public, and there were lots of people watching Peter. He was a leader in the church. That required a public rebuke for that type of offense because it was done in public. Where Matthew 18 is more for a private rebuke when someone is sinning in private, or at least it's a personal lifestyle type issue thing as opposed to a public event that we see that we were reading about earlier today with Peter. So I did want to clarify that. But I just encourage you, because so many people, it's for God to know what their heart truly is, whether they're saved or not. So I'm not talking about judging people. But when you know or see or things they say that you can tell their theology is just a little bit off, I think we should help them see that it is by grace alone. And how freeing that is. I mean, that's what gave me the peace when I became a Christian. This is what I was taught. And I don't blame my parents. This is what they were taught, me as a Catholic. Yeah, you had to believe in Jesus Christ, but you got to earn your way. And you won't know until you get there whether you earned your way or not. And fortunately, I had somebody sit down and show me the verses in the Bible that said that is not biblical. I've gone back and talked to my family and other Catholics, and we all say the same thing. It's, you know, that's not what I was taught. I was taught I had to do these other things, these sacraments, and do all this to earn and retain my salvation. Grace is imparted to me through these other things that I do. That's not biblical. And I now tell people, look, you can go with what you were taught. Or you can go with the word of God. This is God's word in this Bible. And it is so clear in so many places that it is by our faith alone. Go look at Hebrews 11. It has all these people of the Old Testament who it says they were declared righteous because of their faith. Even take Abraham. He was declared righteous by God some 14 years before he became circumcised and way before the law of Moses was given. So it can't be because he was circumcised and upholding the law that God declared him righteous. He declared him righteous by his grace alone because of his faith alone. So let me open it up for any questions or comments that you may have.
1: Larry, it occurred to me that one of the reasons we're susceptible to the teaching of the need of work is because we don't really accept the teaching of forgiveness. Paul makes statement that he that had worked in Christ, did he die in vain? It occurred to me that if we truly accepted our forgiveness, then we wouldn't feel that urge for the works. If we don't feel forgiven for our sin, past, present, and future, well, then does Christ need to come and die again? Didn't Christ's death once on the cross satisfy all sins, past, present, and future? And so we're not really acknowledging that part of the gospel of our forgiveness of our sin if we're feeling that urge to earn our way into heaven through the
0: I think you're absolutely right that Satan will start working on us and we'll have this old sin that we did a long, long time ago all of a sudden come in our mind and we'll start saying, yeah, maybe I'm not worthy. Maybe I never really did come to faith. I'm really a bad dude, you know. Maybe I'm not saved. And, of course, that's exactly how I felt when I was living my life as a Catholic, that I'd never be good enough to get there. I was confessing the same sins every week to the priest in confession. Back then you had to go to confession every week before you could have communion. And then we start getting twisted in our mind that yeah, well, I've got to do something to earn my way. And of course, that's what we want to do. That makes us feel good that yeah, I earned this. I contributed to it. I did something. We all know this verse in John 3:16. It says for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It doesn't say whoever believes in him might not perish and have eternal life, but might have a shot at it if you do a bunch of stuff. That's not what it says. I mean, it says if you believe, you're not going to perish and you're going to have eternal life. And yet it's so easy for us to get it all twisted in our mind and start thinking, oh, I need to do this so I'll have some blessings. I just encourage all of us. We all fall into that trap from time to time. Oh, I got to get up and go to church today, so I'll earn blessing. We ought to be getting up to go to church because we desire to grow in our relationship with the Lord and be fed and have fellowship with other Christians and grow together and learn from one another. That's why we ought to go. That's the heart that God wants us to have, not that we're going to go and earn something because there's nothing we can do to earn anything. God doesn't owe us anything. Ever. We are sinners.
1: How does get off track? And it took how many years of a to get it back on?
0: track? Well, it took a long time to get way, way off track because the Reformation happened in the 1500s. But what happened was various popes through the ages would start adding these various things that you would need to do. And they've got these sacraments that they actually believe that the Pope and priest are the ones that impart grace into your life, okay? So when you go through these sacraments, the first one is becoming sprinkled. They call it baptism, but uh, that'd be like saying I went swimming. But if you were with me and I said I went swimming today, and you looked at me and go, well, I was with you all day. You never got in the pool. Well, yeah, yeah, I went swimming. That's the same thing as saying I was baptized. Baptized means immersed. And so to say you were baptized when all you were done is sprinkled is not baptism. And baptism, it's clear there are no babies in the Bible sprinkled or baptized. What Jesus commands is place your faith in Jesus Christ and then get baptized. Well, you can't place your faith in Jesus Christ as a little infant because you don't have the mental capacity to do that. It's basically when you reach an age that you have mental capacity to place your faith in Jesus Christ, then you go get baptized. That's the way God set it up. I didn't set it up. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I'm, that's all. So it begins with that. Hey, Larry. Yes?
2: Can I add something just to that real quick? Please do. Just go back to the whole of this. I think the Catholic Church started off with really, 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 really great intentions, as all things are. So, for example, back in the olden days, by like first century, second century church, you would confess your sins before the whole church. Then you would take communion. Then, I mean, imagine everyone confessing their sin before the whole church. It's a powerful experience. Everybody's like, this is amazing. However, church service just became a big confession of sin time, right? And what people then said, listen, we got to make this thing a little bit simpler. Why don't we just have the people confess their sins to the pastor or the priest? And so then they made it like, and the whole thing was they were trying to follow Paul's word of like, don't take communion with unconfessed sin. You could die. And so there was some really great intention behind it. And the church that really started it, the church that began was this beautiful thing of confession and repentance and communion and the Lord's Supper. And then out of pragmatism, and then when you get away from God's word and you get to the word of man, aka the Pope, what happens is really great things become institutionalized. So confession in a box, as opposed to confession before the church body, became the way. And then a hierarchy of priests, as opposed to the royal priesthood of all believers, where every believer you could confess your sins to. Because that's where James 5.16 comes in. Confess your sins one to another and pray for each other that you may be healed. And everybody wants healing. Confession to God is forgiveness. Confession to other people with prayer is healing. And so that's really powerful. So the early church had all these stuff, right? But when you bring in someone who gets hears directly from God, isn't an apostle, and starts institutionalizing really great things with great intentions, it be, you know you start worshiping the act as opposed to the heart behind it of repentance, confession, and having a church that was freely sharing all things, even their darkness of their hearts and the freedom that they found, if that makes sense, for the confession repentance part. And then baptism... The fear was original sin, especially in the days when babies died young or the the chance of survival. You've given a proper view of hell, which is everybody's going there. You will have original sin. And then everyone feels guilty. Everyone's feeling awful. And so they don't know what to do with the fact that my kid has original sin and what happens if they die. And so to sort of mediate that process, I know I will forgive their sin right off the bat with baptism to free them from original sin, which (laughs) um, is just like a magic ritual, right? And then...
0: There's no verses for it.
2: No verses. But what they would say is just the circumcision was replaced by baptism as entering into the household of God. And then we can confirm that later on when they're of age and accountable before God at 13 or whatever through confirmation. And many, many, many denominations still do that. But there is zero background for it, but it makes everyone feel better. And remember, this is a tendency of the church is because we find things that people are uncomfortable with, and instead of like letting it, the tension just sort of stick there, we want to solve it and fix it with our logical brains because the mystery of some things is too hard for us to wrap our head around, and we need some solid answers. So we go to the Pope, say, give us an edict that we can hold on to so we know we're good and we don't have to wrestle ourselves with God. So I'll stop there.
0: Yeah, and they could have gone to the Word, in my opinion, if they would have just gone to Second Samuel 12, and I've pointed this out to you all before, where David lost his first son, who was conceived in sin with Bathsheba, and so God took him away. And David says very clearly, I mean, he died as an infant, but David says, I can't bring him back again. I'll go to him, but he will not return to me. And I think that verse is saying that, Infants that don't have, and others that don't have mental capacity to place their faith in Jesus Christ, they're going to heaven. David certainly is going to heaven, and he's saying he's going to go be with him. But he ain't coming back to earth, you know, the, the dead infant. So instead of going to God's word, they came up with their own process that they've got no verses for, to try to make people feel comfortable that infants you could deal with original sin by sprinkling. But they've got no verses for that. That was a long answer and probably not a complete answer to your question, but were there some other things that you wanted us to try to address? You were here talking
1: about confirmation. I was confirmed in the Nobody I just did it because parents
0: told me. To I was taught the same thing, and I don't fault my parents. That's what they were taught, but you can either go with what you were taught which to me is analogous to these Jewish people saying, no, well, wait a minute, all these traditions that we were taught by our fathers and grandfathers and handed down through the ages, we got to keep doing all these traditions. And Paul's saying, those traditions don't get you anything. Christ did away with those. Why do you want to go put that yoke back on? And that's why I say, folks, you can either take what you were taught, you can go with that, or you can read this book and see what God is telling you to do. And for me, I've chosen to go with God's word, what he's written to me.
1: Yeah, Larry, and it also explains the rise of the Bible church too, because the truth is coming out. And like I was saying, nobody ever explained to me why you get strangled, what that means, what confirmation is, how is that biblically justified? It? Because it's not. It's just tradition. And that gets to the core of why Bible searches are blowing up on right. people are getting the truth. Larry, I appreciate your message today. A, uh, a good Catholic friend of mine, a great Christian man. Toward the end of our conversation that I was having we he, he, he mentioned something about you how he's just hoping that he gets to heaven and he's working it in all can't. So these verses are perfect right on target. So I'm going back to the fellow today actually to have the conversation. Uh, thank you. these there are must be lots of books written about the reformation.
0: Have you reconciled the Catholic tradition versus the Bible, and the Scripture? Yeah, Martin Luther basically wrote down 95 things that he saw where the Catholic Church had moved away from what was written in the Bible. He went and nailed those on the door of the church. And by the way, he was a Catholic monk. So it didn't begin as a way to break away, it was, hey, we need to get back to what God's word said. The way it ended up playing out was the powers that be, the Pope and others in the Catholic Church said, nope, this is what we believe, this is our traditions and we're gonna hang on to them. And that's what led to the formation of the Protestant Church. What I find fascinating is I just look at my own conversion. Once somebody actually read these verses to me and showed me where it was in the Bible and pointed these things out to me, I just felt this tremendous peace that came over me because it's like, man, now I am saved. My sins are forgiven past, present, future. I know where I'm going. Who doesn't want that? I just feel so sad for people who think they're doing all the right things and they're doing a lot of good things, but they're doing it for the wrong reasons. And it is not going to earn their way. And they go to bed every night not knowing if they're going to heaven or not. And they're going to wake up the next day trying to do a bunch of more stuff to earn their way. It's just so sad. So I hope some of what we talked about we can all use when we are just trying to help others. Again, not judge them, but just help show them the peace that is available to them if they will just believe in the true gospel of Jesus Christ as given to us in this book. Thank you for joining us today. I'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to me at LarryO'Donnell.com. You can also sign up to receive this podcast and my weekly blog by sending a text to 56316, type Larry in the text box, and hit send. I hope you'll join us next time as we continue our study.